the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're putting the focus on building a low carbon economy. On Monday, employers group IBEC launched its 40 billion euro blueprint out to 2050, which includes increasing forest cover by 64%, cutting emissions from power generation, building more public transport and increasing carbon taxes. Later, I'll talk to IBEC Chief Executive Danny McCoy about this plan. Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and the newly elected Green Party Councillor Hazel Chu also joined the conversation. But first, Peter Hamilton of the Irish Times joins me in the studio to discuss some of the big stories of the week in business. Uh, Peter, you're very welcome. Thanks, Kieran. We're going to start with car imports from the UK. That's right. It's expected this year that UK car imports will overtake new car sales in the Republic. This is a report by UCD's Michael Smurfett School, the Graduate Business School and the, the Marketing Institute. So they say that used imports here are going to climb to 105,000 as the new market dips to 104,000. The new market, uh, new sales, mm. new car sales. I suppose the, the, the issue here for the state is that the value of imports tends to be lower than of new cars. Uh, you're tending to buy an older car than, than a new car. The tax take is roughly the same in percentage terms, but what the lower value obviously leads to is, is, is less tax. And we're about 600 million off the boom time high uh, of the vehicle registration tax that was collected. That was uh, about 1.4 billion. And this is definitely a Brexit effect, isn't it? The currency slumped. Absolutely. Uh, post the referendum resulting in mid-2016. And as a result, it made these imports much cheaper for Irish people. In fact, Peter, I, I understand you've been down the road yourself, so to speak. I have indeed. And I, I mean, sorry, just back to your, briefly, I'll, I'll go down my road in a minute, but just back, back to your point about sterling uh, dropping I suppose if you bought on the day before Brexit versus this week mm. you'd be saving around 1800 euro if you if you bought this week just because of ster- sterling's plummet but yes I have gone down this road I found it to be to make sense economically for me as have other people how much did you uh, save I, I don't know how much I saved, um, but look, I mean, the, the the general rule of thumb tends to be the more you spend, the more you save. I know somebody who bought a ten thousand euro Volkswagen Golf and they saved two thousand euro. Uh, I know somebody who bought a five series BMW and they saved six thousand euro. Uh, I don't know what the price of that one was, but the point is that there are good savings to be made if you have a, a bit of cash to spend, as opposed to if you're trying to buy a new car here. Mm, okay, bit 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 coy there, Peter. Um, you know what other people have saved by buying their cars, but not what you saved by buying yours. Anyway, um, now Ireland has been placed on the naughty step by uh, the United States. Tell us about that. That's right. The U.S. Treasury has included Ireland on this economic watch list it brings to Congress every six months. So what it's done, what the Treasury has done is it's broadened the range of nations that it's reviewing for signs of unfair economic practices. Other nations on this list include Italy, Germany, China, Japan, South Korea. China, the most significant one there. The way you get onto this list, there are three criteria. Ireland fills two of those, namely that it has a significant bilateral trade surplus and a material current account surplus. The third criterion is that you're manipulating currency. Uh, The US Treasury didn't go so far as to say that China was manipulating currency. In fact, it didn't say any country was manipulating currency. But what was particularly interesting was the fact that it didn't say that China was manipulating currency. Um, Now, the Department of Finance this morning was fairly quick out of the blocks here to defend Ireland's trade relationship with the US. They said that while Ireland runs a large goods trade surplus, we simultaneously run a large services trade deficit. 
Um, and, and Pascal Donahue said that Ireland and the US have a mutually advantageous economic bilateral relationship which can be measured by US foreign direct investment into Ireland and Irish investment into the US. Well, Donald the, Trump is coming here, isn't it? So it's just much, much ado about nothing. It, it seems to be a political decision. Uh, given that Ireland has had a trade surplus with the US for 23 years in a row now, it's hard to see why this has has, uh, has arisen overnight. So it does seem to be political. And it, and given the inclusion as well of Italy and Germany, you'd have to think this is, that this is... Well, and Japan and South Korea, who are key allies of the United States. Uh, no, no, absolutely. But 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 Germany and, and, and Italy, I suppose, because of the Eurozone connection. Um, that's, that's why it seems relatively significant. It's hard to know what will happen from here, whether this is just ammo for Trump if he needs it. Yeah, sure. Okay, all right. Uh, we probably shouldn't lose too much sleep over that. Uh, now, Quinn Insurance went into administration in 2010, placed there by the Central Bank of Ireland, uh, an insurance company formerly run by Sean Quinn, of course. Um, and in 2015, the Central Bank announced that it was going to proceed with an inquiry into the into alleged um, financial or uh, regulatory breaches by two former directors. And here we are in 2019, and it's only actually kicking off this week. What's That's going on? That's right. It started on Tuesday, four years later, as you mentioned there. Uh, they decided in 2015 to proceed with an inquiry. What's happening here is that, and um, what the inquiry heard yesterday, is that subsidiaries of Quid Insurance Limited uh, provided guarantees against 1.2 billion of loans taken out by its parent company, and that was Quinn. Um, that was the Quinn Group, the much the larger Quinn. Quinn Diversified Industrial Group. Exactly, yeah, yeah, cement uh, and, and all that sort of thing, and, and insurance was one of the arms under the Quinn Group, um, of which the board of, of Quinn Insurance Limited were unaware. That was what the inquiry heard yesterday. The two men subject to the inquiry are former directors Liam McCaffrey and Kevin Lunny. Um, it, it's worth mentioning that Quinn Insurance Limited itself isn't part of this. It entered a, a settlement agreement with the central bank in February ter- 2013 in the course of its mm. investigation. Um, so where we are now, I suppose, is, as you mentioned, uh, following on from that, the fact that this company fell into administration. It was bought by Liberty Insurance for the token sum of one pound, or one euro, rather. Um, so... Uh, so here we are, uh, nine years on from it falling into administration, more than 10 years on from the crash, uh, and it's finally finally coming out into the public. And as a result of giving these guarantees, it impacted the quality of the reserves that Quinn Insurance had available um, to it, and that's why it fell foul of uh, the Central Bank of Ireland, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the regulator initially, and, and then the Central Bank of Ireland, yeah. yeah. It's a long time on, though, isn't it? It is, and I mean, look, it's not the first one. If you look at the Irish Nationwide Building Society, uh, mm. Also, a long time dead. And that's been but, dragging but that's on been dragging for on. months and months and, and months and months. Now, this it seems is going to be a short, sharp inquiry. Two weeks. That's right. This is going to be much quicker. Again, the Irish Nationwide uh, one that hasn't finished and started uh, more than a year ago. This is going to be over in two weeks, uh, and the the end result uh, could could be a fine, or or it could be. Uh, these are alleged regulatory breaches. So so yeah. Um, and it, it should be noted that Lee McCaffrey and Kevin Lunny are now involved in the company that's got the rump of the industrial assets of Quinn Group. Sean Quinn no longer involved in that uh, in any way, but Lee McCaffrey and Kevin Lunny are. That that 
company has gone its own way and it's very separate now to the insurance company which as you say is owned by Liberty. And and, and indeed regrettably facing the ire of a lot of people in that part of the world uh, Sean Quinn was was very well liked um, so, so it's 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 not easy I would imagine running that company at this point in time. Yeah sure. Okay Peter listen thanks a million for that. We'll take a short break now when we return I'll be joined by IBEX Chief Executive Danny McCoy Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and the newly elected Green Party Councillor Hazel Chu to talk about IBEX 40 billion euro blueprint for a low-carbon economy. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Don't forget you can download this podcast for free from iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, on Monday, employers group IBEC launched its 40 billion euro blueprint for a low carbon economy out to 2050. This includes increasing forest cover by 64%, cutting emissions from power generation by as much as 92%, building more public transport and increasing the carbon tax. Joining me in the studio to discuss the plan is IBEX Chief Executive Danny McCoy, Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and newly elected Green Party Councillor Hazel Chu, uh, recently elected to the Pembroke Ward on Dublin City Council. Uh, Danny McCoy, uh, you're very welcome. Uh, Tell us about this 40 billion euro plan you have for a low carbon economy. Well, I think it's part of the uh, government's commitment to moving to zero carbon by 2050. So obviously the business community needs to be involved in that because of the critical role the business plays. And I think there is, you know, a fair momentum on doing the right thing by the environment. The, you know, the science is beyond doubt. Maybe scale is what people are, are talking about at this stage. So uh, it makes a lot of sense because the consumers are going there, but also a lot of these Activities are no regrets in their uh, in their aspect in terms of, of, of you know saving um, on fossil fuels, which ultimately are going to become more expensive as exhaustible resources. So, the elements of of the plan having gone through with our very large membership, IBEC, as you know, represents about seven and a half thousand businesses, about seventy percent of the private sector workforce. So, we we consulted over the last eight months, uh, right across. So, the elements are carbon budgets to actually set targets for individual sectors. Um, the outline of this is, you know, in broad terms, we do about 60 million tonnes of carbon um, a year. Agriculture is about 20 of that. We will not get the agriculture one down. In our plan to 2050, it's stabilising on the agricultural side. Why? First of all, our, our own population is increasing. We anticipate that we're already at 5 million in the Republic, but right across the island, we anticipate 10 million island in that time frame as well. So population is going to be going up and also as one of the key drivers of our economic activity for a resource that we can be certain of being there in 2050, which is the agricultural land. We're seeing an expansion in our dairy um, and in terms of our agriculture. So farming stays as is, essentially. Yeah, well, our planet is anyhow. And that's actually going to be a really... So they're getting a free pass. No, they're not, because if you're looking at both the increasing population and the scale of ambition around the the greening of agriculture... um, they, you know, you'd expect that emissions actually would be rising very significantly. So for agriculture to stand still is going to be pretty difficult. So off that 60, we get it down to uh, about 27 million tonnes. So f- effectively, outside of agriculture, you're looking at these scales of 80 to 95% emission reduction. So you start off by at least setting targets in the short term on a sector-by-sector basis. 
then the carbon tax actually does have a role. And my own background, I go back as far as the early 90s when I was at the SRI, so one of the first to actually uh, propose carbon taxes. Um, you know, we were talking about 10 euros at that stage. Um, we've got a lot of our industry in this emission trading system now. So what we're looking at is outside that emission trading system that other sectors of the economy will come through and that the carbon tax currently around 20 euros um, a tonne should immediately in the next budget go to 30 and then in five euro increments up to being 80 euros a tonne by 2030. It's a so certainty aspect, but that's quite important. In layman's terms, how will that how will that manifest itself in the economy and in terms of what people or what businesses pay? Well, it, that's going to be quite difficult. I mean, look, in terms of, of what um, the level of the 20 euros at the moment is collecting in the order of just shy of about half a billion euros a year, um, that kind of step increase will, will put about 3.2 billion extra into the into the hands of the government to be redistributed. That's the point. This shouldn't be a revenue raiser. It needs to be redistributed into the investment because one of the other elements we identified there is to get to the infrastructural investment that will be required to achieve this zero carbon economy. We'll need about €40 billion Euros of investment. By its nature, it'll pay for itself, but the upfront cost, like any type of um, uh, structural change is going, you know, a lot of the reason why it doesn't happen is the initial costs up front are too much. So we need some um, incentive around there, which I think mm. the carbon tax itself would provide that. And the other one is actually around social dialogue. Um, we've got energy, you know, security of the energy supply. We can't be stupid here and say, right, Ireland's just going to do this without seeing it as part of a global solution. But, you know, we, carbon leakage is is a problem, which means that doesn't really matter where a unit of carbon is emitted from on the globe. It's the same going up in the atmosphere. If we really make a draconian here too quickly, too fast, um, the, the polluting activities will move to other jurisdictions. So it doesn't help the environment and we get this carbon leakage. So we have to do it in a sensible way, both as a European strategy, but also in of ourselves. So that requires that we give the right incentives, but we do it with certainty over time. I mean, so the return of social partnership, is this, is this what your reform of social partnership? Yeah, indeed. I mean, if, if society is going to do it, because the point you asked me, I suppose, is we know where the imposition occurs. You know, if you're looking at if it's on energy or if it's on transport or if it's on agriculture, I, imposing a tax is one issue. Where the incidence actually lies is somewhere else. And so, which might even surprise you even more, Kieran, we're talking about a just transition. And that's why the social dialogue is here. So there's going to be people displaced. There are people going to lose their jobs. Uh, we see that already. Where, with, what with, sectors? With Bournemouth are already out there with where they're moving to in terms of uh, taking peat out of the equation. And lots of fossil fuels ultimately will have to come from the equation. But they can't go immediately. So you get some, you know, a wave of enthusiasm from um, the Norwegian uh, Greta Thornburg and so on about, you know, achieving the zero emissions by 2025. Eminently achievable. Only problem is industry has to stop in its totality. Yeah. So, you know, there's a trade-off here. Um, Hazel, first of all, congratulations on your election to Dublin City Council. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, I'm sure, for the past few days. Your husband was elected as well. So, he was, yeah. Uh, Thank you. congratulations. If you like, you've read this document. You're in the Green Party. The Green Party is very much uh, all for, I would imagine, a low-carbon economy and uh, recognising the problems of uh, climate change. So what do you make of this IBEC document? Um, well, I, I have to say um, good work on Danny and his team for doing it. I think it's a, a very well-produced document. I do have one or two issues with it, but overall it actually identifies some of the key issues we have. It very much calls out, first and foremost, that we have only reduced 1% of our emission targets, which was set at 20%, which is actually the first step of the document that sets out this is important. So it's a very, very well-produced document, but then 
when you go into it, I want to, just talking to Danny here, it's a question of agriculture. We need to do something about it. And Danny kind of gave it a pass there, so I'm kind of curious why can't we... Well, why what can't, would the Green Party like to do in agriculture? Well, Green Party would like to support... And, and this was discussed on primetime yesterday when Michael Healy Ray came on and we were talking about how we need to have a rural support agency. We need to diversify when it comes to agriculture. We need to have an ethical Irish meat code. We need to actually make sure that we stop exporting as much and reduce our carbon here. But we need to support the farmers. A lot of farmers think, well, by going green, it means a, a, a extra burden on them. It's not. They are actually suffering the burden at the moment and we need support for them. And to the do- document, IBEX do- do- a document, they identify that agriculture causes a huge amount of emission, but they're willing to give it a pass. So that makes me wonder, well, it is the document actually setting out to achieve anything or not? No, they have called for a massive increase in forestry. Yeah, cover, no, uh, no, I get that. So. Yeah, Danny, do you want to go back on that point? Yeah, I suppose, look, um, Hazel says uh, rightly that um, Ireland's going to miss its targets. Um, but I think what we're going to reflect back on is that, A, the targets were predicated on how the economy was going to grow. This economy has grown spectacularly faster. The population is rising a lot faster. So when I set off in environmental economics back in 1990, there is a kind of a now a halcyon view that somehow we had pristine environment back in Ireland in 1990. People remember the ozone doesn't get mentioned very much. It was sulfuric acid and the buildings with acid rain, etc. So actually the environment and built environment has lots wrong with it, but the actual quality of our environment has been improving during a period of most spectacular economic growth. So that the fact that the emissions aren't a multiple of what they were in 1990 shows that we can decouple. Let's come to the farming piece though. Well, the farming piece is, is, as I said at the start, is that one of our only natural resources here in Ireland, given where we're located, is the grass. Um, there's no other natural resources. In fact, any attempt to go look for any other natural resources is also precluded with uh, bills that are going through on exploitation for fossil fuels, etc. So the, the grass is one of the mainstays where we get the value added in our economy, be that in food or drink. Um, and so with a rising population and a way to, tr- to get at our balance of payments, we're going to anticipate that we're going to have a really significant growth in agriculture for our economic futures. And that's going to be correlated with emissions. So actually stabilizing agriculture is probably the most ambitious thing in that document. Hazel, what's your other issue? I, I think then we're not ambitious uh, ambitious enough. So and if IBEC is proposing um, such ambitions, they should be more uh, more so because at the end of the day, you can reduce herd size, you can diversify, as I said, you can have better breeding. There are different things we can do when it comes to agriculture. Now, and they have we need to start uh, looking at it. What looked to me to be ambitious targets, uh, maybe you don't think so, but Ireland's electricity system will need to reduce emissions by 84 to 92 percent mm. uh, by 2050. The transport system will need to reduce emissions by 72 to 92 percent. Ireland's buildings and factories will need to reduce emissions by between 75 and 99 percent, forest cover to increase by 64 percent. And of course, the increases uh, in the carbon tax going from, I think it's 20 euro uh, per tonne at the minute up to 80 euro uh, in 2030. And, and the carbon tax dates back to when the Green Party yeah. was in government. So presumably your party leader, Eamon Ryan, would be very much in favour of this. It would, well, I can't speak for Eamon. He's not here at the moment. But what I can say is that, as I said at the beginning, I, I do think that there are very good things about this document. But to the point of carbon tax, I, I also want to ask Danny or Cliff here, 
or yourself even, of whether it's ambitious enough. Danny brought up the fact that um, Greta Thunberg, um, the teenage activist, is shouting about how we need to reduce, reduce, reduce to the stage, uh, stage where he thinks it's not workable. But from where I'm looking at, if we introduce a carbon tax where it's a fee and levy and levy the fossil fuel companies, we can actually get to a stage where we will be more carbon neutral by 2050 than the target set out. So the question is, do we have the ambitions, uh, ab- uh, ambition to do so? So I'll come back to uh, Danny in a few moments on that, but I want to bring in Cliff here. Um, Pascal Dunne, who is obviously key in, in this because he's going to be uh, planning his budget now, which will be delivered in October. Um, he didn't do anything on the carbon tax front last year. Yeah. But there is pressure. There is pressure to do something now. And yet, Fine Gael did not have a good election, uh, whichever way you, you look at it, really. And he's under pressure in terms of uh, the broadband plan and overspending on the children's hospital and so forth. So introducing another tax at this moment in time uh, for a minority government with an election perhaps not too far away, it's not going to be a popular thing to do. It's not going to be easy. Uh, my gut feeling at this stage is that he'll have to put his green foot forward and, 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 and do it this year, uh, having kind of flunked it last year. Uh, all the expectations were that it was going to happen in last year's budget and at the end of the day, the minister decided to do away with the special incentive VAT rate to raise the amount of money needed. The really contentious issue is not only uh, an increase in the tax, which which is going to knock people's pocket by pushing up fuel prices, it's what happens to the money. So Danny has said that he would favour going back into investment in uh, energy uh, in energy projects, in environmental projects, would seem like a sensible thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think everybody agrees that uh, the poorest households, those reliant on, mm-hmm. on fossil fuels, should, should be hard to say, aren't they? They are. They, they should be protected. Uh, but there's a gap in the middle there, and I think a row, uh, possibly a government level, and, and uncertainty about what to do. You know, one of the models that could be used is just to, to, to give the money back to people via, you know, tax credits, higher social welfare, a check in the post, kind of in, in, in the ultimate way, so, so that you're still incentivizing people to uh, to save on carbon, but but you're not charging people in net terms a significant amount. That would seem like a bit of a waste to do that because when you have all this extra money, why not why not double up on it and invest in uh, and invest in energy projects while protecting the poorest households? But we've seen with the water charges just how sensitive the issue, you know these kind of issues are. So uh, it's going to be an interesting call, uh, particularly with the general election in the air. Yeah, um, Danny, this idea of ring fencing uh, the revenue generated by the increase in a carbon tax for measures that would tackle climate change, if you like. Um, It's wishful thinking, isn't it? It's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to see Department of Finance giving up and hypothecating taxation for anything. But look, if if we see where the society is going and people have identified this, then I think there's a better opportunity on this particular occasion than others. But I would say, I don't mean this anyway uh, viciously, because I didn't know it uh, 30 years ago. Uh, People wouldn't know carbon if they fell over it, right? Um, um, You know, carbon is the sixth element of the periodic table. So a diamond is carbon. That's why the beers call themselves element six now. Um, And so there's an awful lot of piety uh, goes on out there till people are actually confronted with the reality of their values when they're confronted with prices. And that's going to be the difficulty uh, when people actually see the true price of what they profess to value. But we have to confront them with that. That's what, you know, that's the importance about leadership right now, that we actually confront people with the true cost. So 
there's going to be a reaction even from the citizens in terms of the imposition and incidence. Well, of I'm these. curious about the reaction from your members because you have a lot of small firms uh, are members of IBEC. And, you know, I'm sure in the round uh, they want to protect the environment, they want to do some, the right thing by uh, climate change and so forth. However, you know, they live in the real world on a day-to-day basis. Uh, it's tough going running their businesses and they're hearing you saying, well, you know, maybe you got to change your fleet of cars. Maybe you got to change the boiler. Maybe you got to retrofit your building. Maybe you got to pay more in tax, yeah. etc." And they're saying, hold on a second, hold on a second. I'm just about hanging in here, just about making ends meet. It's all right for Danny McCoy in Dublin uh, to say that we need to do X, Y and Z. But on the ground here in rural Ireland, etc., cetera, uh, that's just not feasible. Sure, but look, they've got to listen to their consumers as well, and that's partly the reaction. You know, business can't stand aside on this one. As I said at the start, consumers are pressing this, but also some of the measures here actually make sense in themselves. And if the prices are in there, they're confronted to have to make those decisions, but they will need some incentive uh, at the start to be able to make that transition. And that's the point I was talking about, the need for investment, the carbon tax themselves. The additionality of what we're proposing will put about $3.2 billion into the exchequer between now and 2030. That initially has to be recycled back to help this transition. That includes, so the just transition, it's not IBEC and all soft and woolly about the household, it's also about those businesses that are going to be affected as well. Um, well, I, I think it's, it's actually uh, very brave of IBEC and Danny to, to champion this because at the end of the day, it is asking their own members to step forward, which is great. So, but I think we talk about carbon and we need to look at carbon tax and we can't look at it in isolation. We need to look at it as a fee and dividend because at the end of the day, we want to reduce the usage of fossil fuel as well. So from the Greens proposals, it has always been that there will be a levy placed on fossil fuel companies so that the um, money then is redistributed. And as um, Cliff was saying, that it will uh, actually benefit the household. It will benefit the poorest, those who are um, uh, fuel, uh, suffer from fuel poverty. And it does work over in Canada. So it's a model that we need to look at over here in Ireland. Cliff? Yeah, it, it works over in Canada, as, as Hazel said, but equally the carbon tax, as you know, has been pretty controversial over there as well in, in, in recent elections with, uh, with some changes in, of, of uh, regional governments because, you know, partly because of it. But I just, to come back to another point, I mean, I think Danny's right that people are in favour of the environment and they're in favour of the idea of an electric car and, uh, and, and investment. They don't necessarily in, want to pay for it. Just what I was going to say. <laughs> so they like the, they like the fluffy stuff, but when it comes to putting their hand in their pocket, uh, that's a different that's a different thing. And I, I think the government's going to see that uh, over over the next few months and has a big uh, has a big selling job to do. I mean, arguably, we're talking about increasing the price of the carbon tax from twenty euros a ton to thirty euros a ton next year. If you look at most international studies, the World Bank and people who've looked at these things, you can argue about what the real price is, but it's certainly north of a hundred. Uh, it could be 150. It could be 200. An ESRI study suggested that we need a much higher. We may need a much higher level of carbon tax to meet our meet our targets. So we're really we're at the foothills here yeah, of, of of a really big problem uh, and and a kind of a mountain. And I think the other area, the other selling job that the government has to do is, uh, and again this is mentioned in the IBEC document, is in terms of the way we live and where people live. Uh, we've had a planning regime that has favoured urban sprawl, favoured once-off housing, uh, led to people commuting in cars, 
to their places of work into cities or around rural Ireland. That's, you know, if we're serious about this, that that has to change. We have to have people living. So we need to go higher and higher, higher and higher, higher, higher in the city. closely together. Much so Johnny Ronan's plan for a 44-story well, tower, you're in favour of that, Cliff? I'm all for it, yeah. Uh, I'm sure Hazel will be on the council now proposing <laughs> that. When we, uh, yeah, where does the Green Party stand on, on high-rise developments of that order? Uh, there is a specific... Um, I, I think we, you have to ask all my colleagues as a group because my own personal opinion doesn't mean it's the party's opinion on it. Uh, for myself, I, I come from various cities, having lived there, that well, you, has high-rise. You have I, a Hong Kong heritage. I know, I have, a Hong, Kong, I Hong have Kong. a Hong Kong heritage. I lived and worked in New York. I lived and worked in Sydney. And I do think that... Height is good in if planned properly. There has to be proper planning regulations for it. We do need to stop the urban sprawl. But as as discovered with the primetime debate and every other debates, is that there is very much a rural urban divide that we need to try to patch up a patch at at the moment for people because people in rural Ireland feel left out. So not left out, left behind, actually. With the economy growing, they uh, they feel left behind. With climate action happening, they feel left behind. They need to be supported. And this is part of it. We need better planning overall, as Cliff says. So, and that that's what we have to do for the next... By the way, if the Green Party were in government next time around, and the election probably isn't too far away, mm. uh, what would be the one red line um, that the, the Green Party would have, whether it's negotiating with Fine Gael or Fianna I can't uh, give you an answer for that simply because I am not all of the Green Party. I, I said this the other day in Toronto work. I, I'll say it again until until I uh, can't speak anymore. The party is made up of all, all its members. No one particular person can speak for it. So there is no distinctive red line that can be drawn because no one can decide yet. Danny, can I ask you how low carbon at the minute is Ibeck? In terms of, I mean, you've got a, you're, you're occupying a a fine old building on Baggett Street for your headquarters? We are, and I think, I think, the, <laughs> I think there's two words operative there. The fine might be in tout <laughs> as we come to a rent review. You to I'd say it's not fine. Um, quarters. Um, and old is the other bit, but we have actually, in the last number of years, we've moved like other companies on the recycling and uh, on the energy and the lighting and so on. So clearly, and it makes sense, and that was the point. I mean, it's, 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 not, it's actually, when you make it easy, for people to do the right thing, it's by right financial incentives. So the carbon tax, I think the time has come. There is enough support there in the society to do it. If you get the pricing right, you get the behaviours to respond. So adaption uh, to everything comes. There's a lot of hue and cry. And that goes back to a lot of the investments we're talking about in the economy as well. Jumping up and down, we mentioned some things earlier on about the children's hospital, etc. Lots of these public infrastructure pieces have a hue and cry about their value for money. But actually, because you can't explicitly see the benefits in the initial phase, they get discounted too heavily. And then when they're in place, like the port tunnel or about the motorway systems or whatever, they pay, for, the they pay for themselves. And so on the, on the carbon debate, if we can get to crack this, I think there will be dividends to us all. Yeah. Well, one of the really interesting things, Danny, I, I, I don't know the answer to this, is whether this is going to change our growth model because, you know, our growth model is based on attracting FDI, building up agriculture, export, export, export. Building sure. data centres, which are huge guzzlers yeah, of energy, yeah. most of which being produced by fossil fuels at the moment. I know it's changing, but nonetheless. So is, is part of this accepting lower growth, different growth? Potentially. Years ahead? Uh, potentially. I mean, that's a kind of conversation, you know, we have breakneck speed in our growth model at the moment. Yeah. And so, you know, therein lies some of the achievement of the decoupling of greenhouse gases already from what we have. But as a rich society, we need to take that kind of leadership yeah. um, in it. So it's going to be difficult. Yeah, our business models all have to change. Yeah. 
I, I also think that we, we keep on, at this conversation, the, the previous conversations all week has been all about carbon tax, 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 tax. Whereas if you look at the overall climate conversation, it's it's only a small, it's only 5% of the overall climate uh, conversation and climate strategy that the government needs to take on. And we need to start looking at that now rather than later. So, so it, as much as we talk about tax, there is a whole bigger conversation to be talked about. Cliff, a lot of people out there, I suspect, will say, you know what, even if we become the greenest country in the world, we're kind of whistling in the wind because unless the big population countries like China, Russia, America, Indonesia, Brazil, etc., unless they do it, because it's the one atmosphere that we're all polluting, unless they actually uh, take action on this, we're just whistling in the wind. Yeah, I know. It's still, I mean, known in economics is a free rider problem. You do nothing and you let, you know, you let other people uh, pick up, pick up the bill. It does look like the world is moving in this direction. It does look like the Paris Agreement is, is going to hold throughout much of the world. Donald Trump? I was just just about to say. <laughs> Everywhere but Paris, I would argue. Everywhere but Paris, <laughs> comes yeah. a carbon tax. And uh, America is America, but I, I think there comes a time when you have to, you have to do the right thing. Uh, you have to try and move in the right direction. And as Danny said, I, I think there's also a, an economic and a business case for doing it because increasingly people buying products around in, in Ireland and around the world, consumers are saying, how is this produced? Who produces it? What standards were used in the production in the production of it? And environmental issues are are, you know, are front and center front and center of all that. People buying clothes, people buying food, increasingly people buying cars uh, in the years ahead. You know, you would presume looking at the forecasts from EY and some people who've kind of crunched the numbers that we're kind of going to come to a tipping point for electric cars. I don't know, it's three years' time, five years' time, but it, it probably isn't any further ahead than that. And you know, why, why not take a lead position? Why not pick a few really key projects that, that, that mean things to people and say, okay, we're going to install the, the points for, uh, for, for recharging cars. We're going to keep that free for five years. We're going to put in place further, further incentives for, for people to buy these cars and really try and make a difference in a few areas maybe rather than trying to do everything yeah. together. What about business as a, a, on a global scale, and not just in Ireland, Danny, business has a huge part to play in this. If you take the textiles industry, they're always chasing the lowest cost uh, market to produce goods to then sell all around the world, you know? So it's disappeared from the US and the UK and it went to China and now it's gone to parts of Southeast Asia and so forth. Who knows, it might go to Africa uh, ultimately because that's where the lowest cost will be located. And then those goods are moved all around the world. Well, I suppose one could be cynical and look at some of the marches and look at the cheap T-shirts that people have on them and say there's somewhat of an, incons- <laughs> somewhat of an inconsistency here. But the um, look, the, the business models will have to change. And I think that's rich societies can do transitions because they can afford to do it and they can stop, you know, the luxury of changing your coffee to be fair trade or whatever it may be. But there's not gone consequences, and that's why I think that it probably doesn't get a, enough from our uh, report. That idea about just transition, a just transition is really important. And it's not just about the obvious uh, poor household cases. There will be displaced workers, there will be displaced sectors, there will be, as as Cliff said, potentially a lower growth model, which has a whole knock-on consequences for the whole of society. And that's why that social dialogue piece is really important. It's not the old social partnership because the NGOs have a, a place here as well. So as long as people are saying, yes, we are willing to pay it, then I think business can deliver whatever is required from society. But if people aren't true to their word here, the transitions can be very unjust. Yeah, okay. Final word to you, Hazel. Look out to 2050. 
Do you see Ireland being a low carbon economy? I hope it will be. So I, I, I really do hope it will be. I think that's why you see so so many rise uh, of, of sudden green councillors because people do believe in a green wave. They want changes. And you can see it with... Well, it could with, be a protest vote now. Uh, it could be, uh, as Pally says. It could be but, vote. but you can see also with, with different uh, companies and organisations like of IBEC actually producing such a report shows you that there is a need for it. So we need to actually move forward and and try our best for it. But there is one thing I, I want to leave Danny with is that we really hope that all the businesses don't pass it on to the consumers. So it is my final thought on it is at the end of the day, we can talk about how we level um, levy fossil fuel companies and other people, but we want to make sure that if businesses do get taxed, that it does not pass on to consumers as well. Cliff, final, final word. Final, final word. Another reason to do this is we're going to get fined if we don't do it. Mm. So yeah. But should we get fined all the time for various... Uh, <laughs> Where does the fine come from? <laughs> well, look, I mean, we could afford to pay the fine if we don't want to do this, by the way. And so, mm. you know, we can be, we can be cynical about this. We, we create enough resources to actually pay any level of fine that, that is realistically coming our way and carry on regardless. That, that would be nonsensical to do because there are no regret strategies here. But I would say... Um, I think there, you know, I, I think the vote is what it is, but I think it has to be described as an affluence vote. We've seen as well in the last uh, weekend. I don't know. I, 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 I grew up in some areas. I, I grew up in Tala, Tani, and I can tell you there is now uh, four. Uh, green councillors in South Dublin County Council, one of them from Tala, so and uh, one of Taff, them from. Tala's not without affluence. <laughs> I grew up in a three-bedroom house with nine people. I can tell you, it wasn't very affluent. So, and I can tell you that people. Okay, uh, I can feel a yeah. Monty Python sketch coming on here. You, know, <laughs> you grew up in a three-bedroom house. Anyway, we won't but, go but there. But the point is, green politics should be for everyone. Sure. It shouldn't be just for the affluent, or it, it shouldn't be for anyone that knows about it. It should be for everyone. So. All right. Well, how about this? We'll reconvene in 2050 and see how IBEC have gotten on with their plan. <laughs> uh, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Danny McCoy, Hazel Chu, Cliff Taylor, Peter Hamilton for their contributions. Declan Collin produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Let me remind you that the podcast is available to download for free from iTunes and you'll also find it on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed each day on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.